This is your host, Jordan Carroll, and welcome to the Sunday Ain't Scary Podcast, the show dedicated to those addicted to living outside of their comfort zone, obsessed with designing a life of freedom, and for those who choose to make every day count because they know Sunday Ain't Scary. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Sunday Ain't Scary podcast. So thankful to have you here on episode three, where I'm going to get personal. I'm going to talk about some things that really suck to talk about, to be honest. Like, <laughs> like I don't I mean, I don't necessarily get excited to talk about these things. It does become a relief. And I know that there are people out there that gain value out of what I'm saying. And of course, there's a, like I said, there's relief. There's a selfish part of me sharing this because I think when you carry around baggage for so long and you don't talk about it, it can be much more detrimental than actually saying it out loud. So I find that that's true for a lot of things in my life. But today I want to talk a little bit about self-love and specifically how I found love for myself by quitting alcohol. Now, I'm going to speak to some very personal things about my journey with alcohol, and in no way am I judging, I feel like I say this every time I talk about this, but in no way am I judging anybody who drinks or doesn't drink. It, that does not matter to me. I have no room to judge anybody, so that's not what this is about. It's more about just sharing my personal experience, and then also, I've found when I've shared this, this story about myself and kind of gone through how I did it, I find that I always undoubtedly get messages from people about this. This topic is actually the most engaged in any of the content that I've ever done. I, I wrote an article about the first year where I had lived alcohol free, the full year of, of quitting alcohol. And I swear, I mean, it was probably, it was hundreds of hundreds of messages. I still get messages to this day out of the blue from people either thanking me or asking me questions or sharing their story. And it's just a, it's a testament to what happens when you share your authentic, vulnerable self to the world. Yeah, there are times when you get people that are going to hate on what you have to say. You're going to get people that say nasty things. But for the most part, people are pretty supportive. And I've found a nice little niche talking about pretty you know, personal subjects out loud. So what I want to talk about today is how I quit, why I quit, and then some tips for success. So as far as if you want to either slow down your alcohol consumption or you have someone in your life who wants to slow down or you want to quit completely, we'll talk about different things there. And then I have an article that I wrote, I think as I already mentioned, so I will put that in the show description. Now, I've been sober from alcohol specifically for over three years. Yeah, <laughs> not sober completely. I do love weed and also ayahuasca and mushrooms and a few other things. But alcohol... I've been sober from since August 20th, 2019. So that's over three years uh, of the date of this taping. Taping. Do they still say taping? Recording? Because it's like we're not using tape anymore. So I think this recording. Anyway, what I had found was that when I originally stopped drinking, it was really interesting to see the reactions that I got from certain people because one, I think society has this view that either, you know, when someone quits, it's because they're an alcoholic and there's no other reason to quit. But in, in reality, I think a lot of people are kind of waking up to this idea that alcohol is a poison. Alcohol is something that can do a lot of damage to the human body. Scientific studies say that. I think a lot of people would back that up if you talk to them the day that they have uh, a raging hangover, right? It's not good for you. And, and of course, there are plenty of people out there who can moderate and can drink it without having any issues, have a, a glass of wine with their dinner, whatever that is. I was never like that. And I'll kind of go into why I think that that, that was the case. 
My own personal struggle, I think, started in high school. I had a lot of social anxiety, and I didn't ever feel like I fit into any social group in high school. I kind of felt like I was outcasted in some ways. And I think that lack of acceptance in high school ended up perpetuating itself when I got to college. I went to Chico State in Northern California. It's a notorious party school. So very well known for its parties. I don't know how else to describe it. It's a party school. So when I went there, I knew, man, I can like recreate who I am. I could be this whole different person. I could like come out of my shell and and talk, do all these things, just be way more social, talk to girls, all this. And so in my development, one of the things that was a main focus when I was in university and college was drinking because that's what everybody was doing. I was in the dorms. There was a dorm that had nine stories, so it was huge. Co-ed, so you had the women's side, the men's side of every floor, and then two of the floors were all women's floors. And Chico State itself was like 60% female. So for me, as a heterosexual male with a lot of booze, like that was so much fun. I was, I was enjoying it way too much. But the real underlying issue was that I was trying to run away from myself and from my emotions and from my anxiety. So I would drink just copious amounts of alcohol. This was never a daily thing. So like even in college, it wasn't something where I drank every day, although there were some weeks where probably close to every day I drank. But the real issue was that when I would go out, I wouldn't really have an an off button. So I would drink, take shots, and then we would like, we had, there was a group of us guys, we would take 10 shots to pregame before leaving the dorm. I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> Looking back on it, it was it was absolutely like we take ten shots each, and, and I wouldn't remember anything. You go out and you do stupid stuff, you get arrested, go to jail, end up in the hospital. All things that had happened to me. In fair play here, I ended up holding up a lot of shame for these things that I had done, and you just feel so stupid. You wake up and you're in a fucking jail cell, like. <laughs> <laughs> There's a dude in the corner with uh, psoriasis, like picking his green scabs. And I'm just like, what am I doing here? And I think over time, what had happened was I, I developed an even deeper hatred for myself. Like for when you drink and you numb everything out and you don't allow yourself to feel those emotions, you don't allow yourself to be present, you don't allow yourself to be sensitive to those things. You end up just pushing yourself farther from who you truly are. And that's what I had found is I was hurting my relationships because I'd say things that wouldn't be, they say drunk words or sober thoughts. I don't agree with that. I feel like when you're a drunk person, you can become a completely different person. And that's not really a good representation of who you are. So that's what had happened to me. And it was hard. I'm looking back on it. It was hard. Like I fucked up my life in so many ways doing that. Of course, I've learned a lot of lessons, and I I wouldn't be here who I am today without those experiences. But a lot of me plays that what-if game with this particular topic, because if I had maybe taken a different route, I don't know, I could be different, of course. (sighs) Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes this stuff is just, is so, there's so much guilt and resentment in this. So... I leave college, and for the few years after college, I had been better at moderating because I was in the professional world, and these kind of things, the binge drinking, blacking out stuff didn't happen as much, but there would be just times when it would still happen, and I'd, like, get really fucked up, like, unintentionally get really drunk. So I'd go out to, like, have a good time and get some drinks, and it seemed like the goal of some of the people that I hung around with at that time was to get that drunk. Like, was to not remember. And by no way is that 
is my drinking their fault? But I would consistently put myself in positions and situations where that was the acceptable thing to do with the people that you hang out with, whatever they're doing, you're going to do. So I found that that was true throughout my my college career and then shortly after. And after years and years of that, and I I actually moved around the U.S. and I think that that helped a lot because I moved to Boston, I moved to Portland, and it kind of got me away from some of the the culture that I had been hanging out with in California in college and and just post-college. So what ended up happening was a number of years later, let's fast forward to August of 2019 when I quit, my hangovers at that point were like two or three days long. I'd have even just a few drinks and I would just feel awful. My body was starting to just completely reject alcohol in, in pretty much every way that you could think. And as a professional, as someone who was trying to start my business, was working for a company at the time that had a really demanding job in sales, I just couldn't afford to be hungover. I couldn't afford to not feel my best. I couldn't afford to have moments where I would embarrass myself like that. So I decided kind of overnight after a bachelor party, I went to this bachelor party. We had an awesome time, but there was just so much drinking. It was like beer Olympics and then poker games and all this stuff. And I had to catch this flight back to Mexico. And I get back to Mexico for this training that I'm doing. It's like a full week of training. And I just felt like dying. Like I literally, every day that I was there for those first two or three days that I was back, I was so hungover and so dehydrated. And my body was just telling me every single sign that I needed to see that I need to stop that I did. And so I did. And it was kind of like a light switch at that point. Like it really, I had been thinking about doing it for years up until then, but I'd never had that courage or never had that commitment to actually do it. So that was a pretty big moment for me. And one of the first ways that I kind of supplemented as I'd like to kind of go into how I did it, right, and and provide some perspective on how you can either do it or you can help someone in your life with some of these resources. I started with, uh, because I never really subscribed to the notion that I was an alcoholic. I I still don't think that I, I am. It has properties that are addictive. And of course, alcohol can be very addictive for certain people. But for me, it was just, I think, a lack of moderation when I would go out. When I think of an alcoholic, I think of someone who would withdraw if they didn't drink, right? Or someone who has to drink every day to survive, that kind of thing. And I was never in that position. But my psychological dependence on needing alcohol to have fun and to like go out and and do all those things was, was warped. So looking back on it, one of the first things I did that I think helped me be successful was I joined a program called One Year No Beer, O-Y-N-B, as it's also known. And it has a community, it has an online presence where you can go in and talk to other people And then they also have uh, daily lessons that are emailed to you and other resources and things. So I found that to be really interesting at the beginning. And I signed up for like a 30 day, one year, no beer. They had 30 day, 90 day, a year. And I think, I think that was like all their programs at the time. And so I did the 30 day challenge and that just extended. Like I I got past 30 days. Like I have no desire to drink again. I'd kind of made this internal commitment. I'm going to stop. So I switched it to the 90 day plan. And even by day like 40 or 50, I even stopped just checking emails. It's like, this isn't, this isn't something that I want anymore. And I think that's a crucial part of this process is being able to recognize that there, if you're trying to quit, one of the biggest recognitions for me was that there's zero benefit for me ingesting alcohol. The diminishing return between one drink and zero drinks is there's no benefit there, like even just one. So when I realized that and I really internalized it, I was like, having even one beer is significantly worse than having zero, I finally was just like, all right, well, I'm going to change. And here's a big part that I also think helped me change. 
within that emotional commitment, I had to change what's called my identity layer. There are three layers to change. This is from James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits. The outside layer, there's, so uh, there's three. So if you imagine it as a circle, there's like an outside layer, uh, a second layer, and then a middle, like a core layer. The outside layer is, is outcomes. So change that can be seen by the outside world. It, they're things that are the results of whatever it is that you're done. The second layer is process. So those are the routines, the things that you do to change your daily habits, your weekly habits, whatever those are. And then in the middle is identity change where that's rooted in beliefs, right? How you believe in your about yourself, how you believe about the world, things like that. And there was this study done that, that kind of validates the most important one is identity change, actually changing your beliefs. The study was about smokers trying to quit. And what had happened was they studied two different groups of smokers. One group of smokers who would say, when offered a cigarette, no thanks, I'm trying to quit, versus someone who was in the process of quitting, would be offered a cigarette and say, no thanks, I don't smoke. So the identity and belief system that comes with no thanks, I'm trying to quit versus no thanks, I don't smoke, they're very different responses that signify a very different level of change for those people. So the more successful people that were to, to quitting cigarettes were the ones that adopted the identity change no thanks, I don't smoke. And what I realized looking back on it was like, that's the approach that I took was that anytime anybody offered me drink, I would say, oh, I don't drink. It's okay. I wouldn't say I'm trying to quit drinking because that would imply that there's a chance of, you know, failing, <laughs> I guess, where I guess there's different thought patterns on this, but I think that's really interesting because when you look at changing yourself, changing your habits, changing your behaviors, Finding that identity change, that belief that's going to actually move the needle in, in helping you change yourself is so much more important than changing the surface level. So I thought that that was really crucial. In addition to that, a couple other things that I did was that I started having to replace alcohol with other things, right? So at parties, I would bring like seltzer waters like LaCroix or something. There's a ton of non-alcoholic beers. There's a bunch of beers that are zero beers or in non-alcoholic beers. So I start drinking those. There's also different other concoctions, I should say. CBD drinks or THC drinks. There's like a lot of those now, especially in California where I'm at at the moment. Also kava and kratom. Kava is a root from the Fijian islands, which is ground up in, into a beverage drink for medicinal, not necessarily medicinal, but anxiety anti-anxiety reasons. And it's kind of a ceremonial thing that's happened in Fijian culture for hundreds of years. So I started drinking kava and finding kava bars, which were kind of like very social environments where they would serve this drink, which has no alcohol. There's a few in the Bay Area where I'm at right now. And then also kratom, which is a leaf from Thailand, which is ground up into like a tea as well and drink. Now, both of these have their own warnings with them because they are substances as well and they can be abused and there has been people that have gotten side effects from these things so that's worth noting but those are two different things that I've been able to consume that have been in my estimate better for me than alcohol but still given me some sort of like head change right because I think it's nice sometimes to give yourself a little bit of of something like some type of vice right I also had a text accountability group at the time which was really really helpful and any accountability that you can get from a group of people or from a friend just even one person can be super helpful and that's why one year no beer was also great because that was another accountability group that 
that I had. Uh, I did have to have some kind of transformational conversations with my friends, especially those in which our primary activity together was drinking. I had to change those habits. I had to change what we did together. So instead, I would recommend hikes. I'd recommend other types of activities like playing basketball or running, whatever, because when you have to switch that whole relationship to move away from alcohol, I had plenty of friends where the only times we'd meet up is going out for a drink. So we would have to rearrange that relationship and I would have to be asking them very specifically for help in that because if you don't get those people on your side, they can continue to be enablers. So it's really important that you don't make them feel defensive, but you make them feel like they can be on your team with a common goal, right? And if they can't be, then there's some people that you do have to cut out of your life. And that's something that I did experience. Last few things are just around the details of this transition for me. Originally, I wrote a really long, expansive article on it. So what I recommend you do is go check that article out. It'll be listed in the show notes here. And let me know what you think. You can comment directly on the article. You can send me an email. My email's in the article. If you're on the YouTube video, you can leave a comment under there as well. I hope that this has helped and it always helps me to talk about this stuff because I feel like a lot of people think about it, but a lot of people don't talk about it. So hope that you're having a fantastic week and I will see you on the next show. Keep wandering. You're not lost. Thank you so much, you beautiful bastard. I appreciate you listening to the Sunday Ain't Scary podcast. If you found value from this show, please consider three absolutely free ways that you can support, all of which will be linked in the show notes as well. Number one is leave a review. Reviews are the lifeblood of any podcast. It helps other people find me and determine if it's worth it to listen to the show. Number two, subscribe or follow wherever it is that you're listening to, whatever platform you're on. Number three, share this episode with one friend who needs to hear it. Now, if you're interested in the video version of this podcast, you can go to my YouTube page, youtube.com slash Jordan Carroll, or check out the show notes, which will have links to all my social platforms, websites, and of course, anything mentioned in this show. Thank you so much. And until next time, keep wandering. You're not lost.